if I don't feel right in a relationship, the first question I ask is why? Because 99% of the time, 99.9 I'd even say, percent of the time, it has to do with you. Totally. It has nothing to do with that person. It has to do with you most of the time. And for me, I'm like, what insecurity am I feeling? I recognized, and a lot of times I'd be like, no, I'm not insecure. <laughs> like, I'm not jealous. I'm not this. And I'm just like, bullshit. You know, my therapist is like, comes up in my mind and just goes, bullshit. You are. When I thought about the fact that I get to have this conversation with you today, I got so excited because I remember meeting you for the first time and coming home from Sacramento and I'm talking to my mom and I'm like, mom, this woman is amazing. Like <laughs> she, so she's so thoughtful. She's, ex- she's doing exactly what I want to be doing in some way. And she is, is such a great human being. And I could just mm-hmm. tell that from sitting down with you. And so I'm so grateful that we now get the opportunity to sit down in a publicly recorded way. I know. But thank you so much for being here. I feel so honored to be here. I love your podcast. I have loved it for quite some time. Um, I admire the way you go about your work. I've said this to you earlier, but uh, just the, the the depth of understanding with each episode and each person it shows, it reflects in the work that you do. So to have, to, to be a part of that and to be on this with you, I, it's, it's an honor. It's mutually appreciation. It's beautiful. So I'd love to start with you asking your husband, why do you think I'm good at my job? Oh, you're going to you're gonna start like that? Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm probably going to cry. So something you should know about me is I, when I first met my husband, I was like, I'm not a crier. I am. I lied so hard. I um, am very deeply emotional, and it's partly what makes me really good at my job because I care a ton. And that's what he said. He said, um, "God, I can't believe this is how we're starting, Danny." Uh, he said, "You're good at your job because you deeply care about the people you serve." And it's true. I care a lot about my clients the people I work with, I don't take it lightly that they risk their vulnerability with me. And I find that each person is so unique and has their own puzzle piece. And it's such an honor to be a part of helping them find that piece that seems to be missing. Where does that come from? You know, I've never been asked that. Um, But in in 2015, um, I lost my best friend to suicide. And like we didn't see it coming while all the signs were there. We didn't know what the signs were, so um, we didn't know what to look for, and when she took her own life, I just remember thinking, I don't want anyone to feel like that, like that they don't have a place to express how they really feel or to be vulnerable about their shortcomings or their fears or their failures 
or the things that hold them back or how they get in their own way. And, you know, I went to therapy for a long time for my own mental health after that. And I remember a part of the journey, like at one part I thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel feel like myself again. And then at one part of the journey, I started to see like, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And then when I got on the other side of it, I went, wow, our mind is so powerful. And sometimes, many times, you just can't do it alone. And you need to be willing to ask for help. And it's something I always struggle with myself, ironically. Um, But, you know, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to go on the journey alone. And with the support of somebody else, sometimes there's a perspective that they have that is so difficult for you to see when you're in it. And I think that while I didn't go the route of clinical psychology, I loved sports, I loved performance, and I saw this connection that you know, you don't always have to be sick to get better. And there are situations and when maybe you are struggling and the only thing missing is a helping hand. What did you learn about yourself in that process? Oh man, a lot, a lot. Um, I think one of the things I, the first lesson I learned is what matters in life. I think I grew up really fast um, I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. Wow. I mean, go back to when you were a freshman in high school. Like, think about like what you cared about, where your focus was. It certainly wasn't on thinking about the end of life and what's important and what you would want your life to look like if you looked back. But that's what I thought about. And it was because it was staring me in the face with my friend. Like, would she be happy with the way her life looked? Like, what were the beautiful moments of her life? So it helped, it started to have, I started to have this, almost this backwards perspective on life. And then when I had that, I was like, how am I living into it? And I think that it, it just forced me to grow up in a way that I don't know if I was really prepared for at the time. Um, but immediately I originally cared what I looked like. I cared, you know, what boy liked me, you know, I cared like, you know, I cared about soccer. I deeply cared about soccer. Um, you know, but I, I cared a lot about the opinions of others. And suddenly the only thing I could think about immediately following her passing was how do I get up in the morning? Like, how do I get out of bed? And so my focus had to shift or shifted so drastically that also what I cared about began to shift with it. I think we all have that moment of like, Oh my God, life is short. Life is finite. There, there are things I need to do where I, I need to appreciate the significance of this moment more and situations like that force you to that moment. Yeah. How do you stay there? Mm. Um, It's a good question because I think the thing that's helped me become better at this is having a kid. Mm. Um, You see time go by very quickly 
and watching them grow. My best friend just had a baby and they brought him over the other day. And here's my son, who's a little over a year. And my husband and I were like, oh my gosh, he was that big. And we just had this moment of like, time is fleeting. Hmm. Like time waits for no one. And so I think to stay in those moments, number one, it's to recognize their significance when they're happening. Mm. And I think that's something that is hard today. I fall into the trap of it myself with, you know, scrolling on social media, like what's next, like focusing on our to-do list. We have, you know, as a business owner, I have so many tabs open. I'm like, I have like five projects going on at once. I have like these clients to serve. I have these clients to serve. And then I have my son. Then I have my husband. And it's easy to let those moments pass you by. Mm. And the other day, actually two days ago, I was sitting with my mom in my son's playpen and she was over, she was over watching him uh, with me. And he, he was crawling behind me and I was like smashing him up, like not hard, but like skips, like squishing him up against the playpen. And he was giggling like crazy. And he would like push me away and then like pull me to do it again and just giggle. And I was sitting there with my mom and my mom just said, this is special. And we just sat there and just like took in the significance of the moment. So I think it's something that you can focus on and train yourself by recognizing the significance and giving yourself that moment to just like take it in. And like all all the senses, like what you see, what you hear, what you feel, like what does it smell like in the room that you're in? Like, you know, all of those things. And that present moment awareness, um, I think is, I mean, that's, that's how you stay there. Um, but it comes with awareness, recognition, and then just the willingness to like sit in that for a second. And we did that. And that's, that's like a moment that, you know, is seemingly insignificant, but really that's what life is made of, of right? All these little insignificant moments that make up you know, multiple moments over time. So the presence that you receive when that happens, when something tragic happens, mm-hmm. there's there's a beauty in the presence of it. But then there's the re- very real suffering that's happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. When was the moment you viewed your yourself in a different light than what you've, because you said you couldn't get out of bed initially. Right. And it, when did you start to heal from what had happened? Well, I'll tell you a story. Um, again, I'm 15. I don't know how to process my emotions. And my mom forced me to go to a therapist. And I'm not kidding you. I I went kicking and screaming. Why? I didn't want help. Hmm. I didn't think I needed it. I'm not crazy, I thought. You know, I'm, I don't need to see somebody. I don't need to talk. To, and I don't want to. Um, I had a moment right after where I tried to share something openly with a friend and I got shut down pretty hard. And I don't blame that friend. We were 15. We, none of us knew how to process anything. But it forced me to, like, go in my shell. And so I was like, I'm not talking to anyone. And I, I kid you not, I sat in the first five or six sessions with this woman, didn't say a word. And she just sat in silence with me. Wow. Sat in silence. What a great therapist. She's like, when you're ready. We sat there for six hours, six, di- six different occasions, and just 
in silence. You basically were meditating in some way. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that was her trick. And then one day she said, bullshit. Wow. And I was like, you know, here I am 15. I'm like an adult, like, you know, cursing at me that way. Like it was just like, and called out from like pretty much a stranger. I was like, what? And she goes, she asked me how I was. I'm like, fine. And she goes, bullshit. And then she just went off. And she's like, it's complete and utter bullshit that you think that you're fine because you sit here and you're silent. And she just schooled me for like 10 minutes. And it got me to open up. Wow. And I started talking. And there was a moment, I don't know what session it was, I couldn't, I couldn't say, but it was a while in and I just remember being like, oh, wait, I'm going to be okay. But I'm so thankful that she didn't force me um, when I was, when I wasn't ready. Cause I think that that can do more harm than good. Um, heck, she had a therapist before her that sat me down and was like, all right, pretend there's a chair right there and I want you to talk to Amber. And I was like, what? (laughs) I felt so uncomfortable with it. And he just kept forcing me and forcing me and forcing me. And I, so I pretended to have a conversation that I didn't want to have. And I remember leaving and I told my mom, I don't want to go back. And then we found this other therapist And so I just, there was a moment, like I said, I I think that it it relates to a lot um, in performance or even when you're going after something that like the thing about taking risks, the thing about going out on a limb or doing something for yourself is like, you don't always know when you're going to reap the rewards of your efforts. And I didn't know when I was going to be okay, but my mom forced me to go and I thank her for it because over time it did get better, but I had to stick with it. I had to like sit in that discomfort and I'm thankful for my mom. And I'm also thankful for my therapist for the way that she handled it because there were times where I wasn't sure I was ever going to be okay. It's so fascinating how there are times when you need the mother in some sense of like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. And in times when you need the father of like bullshit. Yeah. Right. And understanding that balance for a therapist, for a coach is maybe one of the most important balances to strike because you got the masculine initially and you were like, that is too much right now. And I can't handle that. And I don't trust you enough to go there right. in that moment. Right. So from the perspective of the person who is now coaching so many people, <laughs> How do you strike the balance between the masculine and the feminine? Oh, that's such a good question. And I uh, I learned from that experience with my therapist that the worst the worst skill you can teach anyone is a forced one. Um, and so when people go, oh, what's the best mental skill? And I was like, let me start with the worst. And it's not any skill in particular, but it's when it's forced. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you ha- it's kind of like a stance and an ebb and flow, but it's meeting them where they're at and honoring that space. 
because you may have the answer, but you've already arrived there. That person might be on their journey and they're, man, they're like two levels behind. And so sharing this or forcing this is actually not going to benefit them because they're actually not even at the level to be able to reach it and touch it and use it and utilize it. So I, I find that it's understanding the person first and developing a relationship. Um, I forget who said this, but there's a great quote that sticks in my mind and I think of it often, which is, you have to build a relationship that can bear the weight of truth. And early in my career, I made the mistake of like the masculine energy. I think being a woman, sometimes you feel that you have to have that in a male-dominated space. And there was an athlete that I gave really hard criticism to that we didn't have that relationship. And I spent three years trying to rebuild it. Wow. And so I will tell you, I never made that mistake again. And it also reminded me of my own experiences and how that felt. And so it was like a moment of reflection, but also like a moment of learning and experience of going, oh, I see how this applies. And it starts with the relationship. Then it goes, okay, like what is the real problem? Because oftentimes people come to me and they go, hey, this is my problem. And the problem is rarely the problem. It's often our relationship to it. So the problem is rarely fear. It's our relationship with fear. The problem is, you know, rarely doubt. It's our relationship with doubt. And so then it's really getting beneath and understanding what the true problem is, because oftentimes the thing that gets presented isn't always the thing that needs worked on. It could be expressing in that way, but that's not actually the thing that we're going to treat or work with work through. And then it's part intuition. You know, we talked about this a little bit, but it's sometimes when people go, oh, what would you do here? Like describe the science behind it. And I'm like, I, there might be science to this, but sometimes the things I know that are right for my clients aren't found in a textbook. Mm-hmm. It's based on like that inner knowing. And it's an intersection, I think, between what you know about the person, what you know about their needs, those underlying roots, and then mixed with the science and what you know is right. And that to me is a little bit of an art and, um, and I'm sure it comes with experience, but I also think it's unique to the individual. It's so fascinating that you bring that point up about the art of the intuition, because one of my questions for you is what is the spiritual side to performance psychology? Yeah. Uh, this is probably what I'm trying to get to. Like, I think that that's really well said is there's, there is this like spiritual side to it. And it's, it's like this, the best way I can describe it is when I'm sitting with somebody and I'm getting a sense for how they're feeling. And I'll give you an example of this. I was speaking um, with an executive a couple of weeks ago and they're facing laying off hundreds of people in their company. And it's not their decision to lay these people off. And so I think a lot of leaders and people in those positions can relate to this because it's like, this is my job, yet I wouldn't have made this decision. Yet I still have to go in there and do what I have to do, right? It's doing the hard stuff. It's, you know, as a leader, like one of the costs is that you 
you may negative like some of your decisions will negatively impact the people that you care about. And so this executive is really struggling with this inner like battle and this inner turmoil. And one of the perspectives I had to like bring her to is I started to ask about, can you tell me some of like the toughest times in your career? And we, she started to go through them and boy, were some of hers really tough where she got laid off, where she got put in these really difficult situations. And I didn't even have to ask the question. She, it like led her to it. She goes, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I said, so now imagine that the person on the other side of laying you off was sitting there in that knowing that while this is so horrific in the moment that they're in, and it's going to uproot everything they know in the current moment, but it is quite literally a foundation that they are going to grow from. I was like, could you imagine what that would have been like for you? And suddenly she was like, okay, I get it. And it's like, I I don't, yeah, sure, you can call it reframing. You can call it a lot of things, but I wouldn't necessarily be like, today we're going to talk about reframing. You know, it's like it, it takes the human out of it. It takes that that like spiritual connection out of it. And I think that's what makes us so beautiful as human as humans. And I, that's why I love this work so much is that it's a mix of the two. It's never just one or the other. It's so beautiful. And it it strikes me so often how so much of what we consider to be the worst moments are actually the things that we're the most grateful for. Yeah. How do you think about that today, looking back at that 15-year-old version of yourself who put you on this path to to help so many people be a coach and how you you and the situation with your friend is like now helping so many people? You know, I uh, whenever I'm going through something difficult, I've now like kind of returned it for myself. When someone goes, oh, it must be a, like such a struggle. It's like, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Mm. But really, like I'm just in the growth zone. Mm. like Because you can't be comfortable and grow at the same time. And so I found that a lot of times I was asking for growth, but then I would like be upset at the discomfort. And it's like, wait, you can't have both. And so now it's like almost like when I say that, it's a welcoming. It's an acceptance of what is. It took me a long time to accept my friend's passing. And while I would do anything to bring her back, I understand that's not in my control. And so therefore what is, is the way I choose to look at it. And I don't believe that her death was for no reason. I believe that it put many of us on a path to help others in many different ways. For instance, her mom started a nonprofit called the With Hope Foundation where they actually go and they educate people on the signs of suicide. Wow. Because they were all there. We just didn't know what they were. They have saved thousands of people from taking their own lives. And so that happened as a result of that. My ability to, like, I think, care the way that I do Mm. and honor the space that people are in the way that I do, I think, came from that. And so I can look back and be really thankful for the situation that occurred, regardless of the fact that I would take her back in a heartbeat. I just believe that it actually made me who I am. It absolutely did. And 
how I view therapy is taking someone who's below baseline and bringing them to baseline. Mm. And I view coaching as someone who's at baseline and bringing them above. Why have you focused on coaching as opposed to therapy? I think because I care so much. I carry the burden. And I wasn't sure I could or wanted to carry the burden of that, that therapists carry. Um, I think I would really struggle, to be honest, if I'm being very honest, um, for my own mental health. I, I just, I'm not sure I could carry that for that many people. And so when I looked at coaching, there is an aspect of that. But oftentimes, it's, it's a different therapy, right? It's, it's a different type of coaching. It's a different type of um, conversations that we're having. And like you said, it's, you know, baseline and above. And so it's really, in my perspective, it's getting people out of their own way. Mm. Um, you know, uh, my friend, Mike Kim, he talks about this. He goes, if you want to know what you're passionate about, ask yourself what pisses you off. Yes. What pisses me off is watching people diminish their gifts. And there's nothing that brings me more fulfillment and joy than watching people get out of their own way and perform like they maybe once never thought they could, but deep down know they were capable of. What's your gift? Mm. I think my gift is being present for others. Um, and holding the things they care about most um, with a lot of care. What was the first moment you recognized that? And how did you see that? Mm. Actually, the uh, first moment I recognized that was my, it was my senior banquet. So this is senior year of college. Oh, wow. Um, soccer banquet. And that year, third game into my senior year, I received my fifth concussion and was told, Lauren, it's not safe to play. So for somebody that identified so closely with their sport, it was really hard. I was like, who am I? <laughs> who am I outside of Lauren? Hi, I'm a soccer player. Hi, what are you doing this weekend? Probably training, you know? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know who I was outside of that. So I spent a whole year figuring that out from the sidelines. I was still a part of my team, but obviously my role was very different. And every year, all the seniors get up and they give a little speech. You know, nobody prepares anything. It's like, you just get up and say a couple words. And I was last and I stand up and it just came to me. And I said, this was the greatest year of soccer and I didn't step on the field. This was the greatest year I've ever played. And I didn't score one goal. I didn't have any stats. Because it was the first time it wasn't about me. And it gave me a perspective that I hadn't yet had. Because before then, yes, it was about my team too. But I was so enveloped in my own performance and how that contributed to the team that I think to some degree I was a little self-absorbed with that. And I didn't really have the perspective of how can I serve others? And when I am in service to others, I am filled up. 
And so when I was just getting water, setting out cones, like making sure everything was okay for the rest of my team and just serving in any way I possibly could, I realized that's when I felt the most alive. And so when I had this moment of realization at my senior banquet, everybody was probably like, what was that? (laughs) I don't know if anyone was prepared for it, but it was honest and it was true. And it was the realization I had like right in that moment. Wow. And what separates the people who get benched and they don't play at all and they're so upset at themselves and they don't want to celebrate with their team and the situation where you're injured and you have the best season because you're you're in service? What separates those two situations? I think one is like there's no – I had no, no – there's no way I could get in a game. Right. right? Like I, it was like this is it. If you want to be on the team, you can be on the – on the bench. I guess you could have not been on the team to begin with a- after being True. injured, but why did you stay? Because of my team. Like, I don't know anything else. Like, you don't abandon your team. Yeah. Like, I, I could not imagine, because he did give me the option. My coach was like, you don't have to stay, but like, you know, we'd love to have you. And I'm like, <laughs> it wasn't even a thought in my mind because like... This, these were my these were my people. Like I was not going to abandon them. Like I don't I don't know how else to explain it, but it's just not in my gut. And I've always been like this, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> like I remember working at a restaurant in college, and everyone would always call out, and of course I would be the person to come in because they'd be like, "Lauren, we need you." And I'm like, "I'm not going to leave them standing." You know, it's like You're so loyal, right? So sometimes sometimes to a fault, but it wasn't even a thought, and. I remember I did have this perspective, this one, this moment where there were some people having a pity party. You know, they were feeling sorry for themselves. And I've, I can relate. I've been there before where you're not getting playing time. You're upset. You're frustrated. You're just like, oh, I should be out there. You know, whatever it is. And I sat down next to them and I said, you know, so easy to feel sorry for yourself in this moment. Trust me, like I've been there. But if this gives you any perspective, I wish I was in your shoes. Mm. And they just kind of like looked and I was like, I don't get to play, even if I wanted to. I said, if I were you, I would pay attention to everything that's going on in the game. Pay attention to what you can learn because we're learning their tendencies. We're learning what they're doing. We're learning their structure. We're learning what they're, what they're going to do to counteract what we're doing. So that when you go in, you can change the game for us. And I wish I had somebody that did that for me. Because, boy, I needed it at times. But I was so thankful that now I can do that for somebody else. And I think, again, when I'm just in service to others and I'm able to, like, I was able to take my situation and find a way to apply it but i think it's the perspective of not being able to play that gave that to me i'm not sure i would have had it without it it's beautiful that you were able to use a situation that should have in in many situations it would have hurt a lot of people to be in that that same place and you were able to reframe in that moment and be like no this is like this is actually my greatest gift to be able to be you were coaching people before you even (laughs) (laughs) Like that was before you even recognized your own gift, you were coaching. Yeah. And I think that's what ultimately led me to where I am now Mm. because I would just remember feeling like, like I know I'm, 
I know I'm serving others. So why do I feel so fulfilled? Mm. And at one point I like mischaracterized it as selfish. Like, oh, am I doing this for me? Mm. And then I'm like, no, because I, when I am in service of other people, like that is ultimately what's filling me up and I need to pay attention to that. And yeah, it just, it kind of unfolded on its own. How come we so often think about living in our gifts as a selfish thing? It's a great question. Um, I think that we're, I, I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but I'll speak for myself that I, I, you know, a lot of times you're told growing up, like, don't be selfish. Like, it's not about you. It's about, you know, maybe that's just my parents. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, as kids, like you are the center, right? Of attention. Mm. And there's a time when that shifts. And um, I don't know. I think that I've always thought like, you know, good teammates are not selfish. You know, good leaders are not selfish. You know, there's there's this trend of um, like, you know, being selfless mm. in those roles that I really admired and looked up to. But what I realized is that I had to miss the wrong definition because if I can give a full version of me, that's the most selfless thing that I can do for others. And it took me a long time to realize that. I thought that you had to sacrifice you for everyone else. And what I realized is it actually put me in a worse position to help others. I didn't show up. I gave, you know, it's a, that phrase like, you know, instead of giving people the best of you, you give them the rest of you, like whatever's left. And that's what I was showing up. As. And then when I realized it, no, when I actually put me first and I take care of me, I can show up better for my clients, for my family, for others in a much better way. So it, it took a little shifting, but I, I wonder now that I'm thinking of it, if I just had the wrong definition of what that was early on. It's fascinating because this changes throughout your life, right? Like what fills you up at one point might be slightly different than what fills you up at another and in one season of your life, it could be spending time with your baby. In another, you could have a teenager and you're like, get away from it. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, how do we constantly figure out the different parts of us that need to be filled up? It takes a lot of self-awareness because we're constantly changing and our needs are constantly changing. And the things that give us energy in one moment could be the things that in the next moment, we're like, I don't want to do that anymore or to the extent that I, I was doing it in the past. Yeah. Um I just, I think to your point, it's paying attention to what it means to be misaligned. Mm. I can like feel it in my gut when I'm out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And what is that? Because <laughs> um, I do too. I know yes. exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know if everyone has that. Yeah. For me, I, it actually manifests physically. Mm. Um, so I have like, a, a, things feel, first of all, really hard. Like there's a lot of resistance involved. And I recognize that when I'm really in alignment, it doesn't mean that there aren't moments of resistance, but it's not constant. Um, and so I feel a lot of resistance. I There's a lot of tension that's in my body, mm. um, particularly in my shoulders. Um, I have a high degree of anxiety. Like I can recognize it. I will literally go, the weather just changed. And I can like feel it. And I'll be like, I... And I'll tell my husband, I'm really anxious, but I don't know why. And I have to like sit and like explore it 
to like figure out what what is the what caused that like what happened what shifted for me um sometimes it's a thought sometimes it's a realization sometimes it's like my subconscious saying like this is not what you should be spending your time doing or you know you're extending yourself too far so for me that's how it manifests but i'm curious like do you like how does it manifest for you just dissatisfied Um, you know i'm just like i immediately like i have this compass it feels like that i don't have a choice in some of the things that i'm doing and if i don't follow the compass i'll go to things like my behaviors will be such that won't my higher self won't appreciate Mm. and that that disconnect will will cause me suffering and (laughs) and i know this because i can go all the way back to me being 15 or 16 years old and starting blogs and being so excited and then like when i made the decision to go to college that wasn't it felt like my own decision Mm. i felt resistance and that resistance was manifested in drinking and partying and and what i've found in like more recent times is like i have to also accept that 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 partying was fun and like helped Mm -hmm. make me me in some sense but it was misaligned yeah and i know that and i can see that in my behavior so i think like we just we have a great compass for our higher self Mm -hmm. and our present self Mm -hmm. and I don't know how common that is or how uncommon it is, but it leads me to feel very satisfied with life when I'm following the compass. That's such a good way of putting it because I've felt that a lot. Like since I had my son, mm. it's a lot has changed since having a kid for me. I didn't think it would. I'm going to be honest. Like I thought, of course, I'm going to love this baby, but I didn't. I didn't really understand it up here. Like I, or I understood it up here, I should say, in my head, but in my heart, hmm. I, I couldn't connect those two until he was in front of me. And then I just went, oh my gosh, this is what everybody's talking about. <laughs> and I just had this moment of like, nothing mattered to the degree that he did. Mm. And so it went, I could see, you know when like you hold down your apps in your phone and they all shake? Mm. I felt like those were all my priorities. And it was like, all none of these are in the right place. Wow. And it made me go, oh, I got to rearrange these. What did you rearrange? I rearranged, well, for me, my goals. My goals looked so different. Um, you know, I, they, just, they just shifted a ton for me. Like, what mattered didn't matter. And so I was like, okay, well, then what does matter? And so it kind of led me to really think about, like, my legacy, like what are the things I want to create, which is like, you know, I can't really talk about it, but I have a really exciting, you know, opportunity ahead of me that um, I'm going to be pursuing in 2024. So it's like things like that. It just like revealed this, these things in me that I, I'm sure were always there, but it's like that moment unlocked it. And so I, I think that sometimes like that inner knowing, that inner compass, it's just taking the time to pause and listen to it because I think we all have it. But sometimes we haven't given it enough time to learn what that is and what those signals are because it's your body and your brain telling you something. And if you stop to listen, it will tell you what direction to go in. That's really powerful. <laughs> and I kind of just want to put a 30 second pause in this podcast right now 
so that people can hear themselves mm-hmm. and hear the, the space when nothing is there. I love that. In a world that constantly wants your attention, that is putting you front and center, saying, look at this podcast, look at this show, look at this person, look at this, people talking to you nonstop from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. It's like, how do you take time for you Mm. in that? This is still an area for me that's a work in progress. I'll be totally honest. Um, However... The things that I'm currently doing for that is I love, I, I love to meditate. So in the morning I'll put on like a Joe Dispenza, uh, like little meditation track and granted he's talking to you. So I don't know how much, <laughs> but it is okay. a time. There are breaks within the podcast. It'll give you a script and then it'll stop and it'll, you'll think and you'll have a moment to pause to me that that is number one, like in the mornings, like my meditation is huge because i think it i think it's easy at least i can say this for myself it's easy to get distracted in a world that's constantly vying for your attention and so that realigns me for the day and then when i'm with my husband and my son i put my phone away Hmm. so sometimes people are like you're terrible at texting back i'm like you're right (laughs) you're right and to me i to some degree i wear it with a badge of honor because it's likely because I'm spending time with people that are in front of me. And while these are important too, and I'll get to them, the people that are in front of me, like I want to honor that and I want to be there with them. And so even my husband, he knows when I'm at dinner, I never have my phone with me. So if there's an emergency, you should probably call my friend that I'm with, (laughs) you know, but it's, it's, uh, those are my moments. It's spending time. I know some people, um, they, they get drained in the presence of others. Um, I get energized. And so, because I know that about myself, like I, those moments for me are usually surrounded in that way, or it's a moment of, you know, meditating or exercising that does the same for me too. That's wonderful. What do you wish you knew in your early twenties about how motherhood changed you? Hmm. The beauty of time. Hmm. I got a sense of it when Amber passed. But watching like this little guy, oh, I'm gonna get all emotional over again. I feel like I just recovered from that. Um, <laughs> we gotta get some tissues, right? I know. It's like that's the only thing you're missing are <laughs> tissues. Um, yeah, he's just like the joy of our lives, like. Just that moment, my husband told me the other day, he's like, we got to get you more time to do this. He's like, just watching you be a mom. He's like, you love it. I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm like, is it that easy to see? He's like, Lauren, you just light up. I'm like, reading him books, like teaching him like little things, like don't put that in your mouth. Like, you know, like even those things, like it's just, 
I love it so much. I even love when he's upset. Like those moments to me, it's like, it's like, yeah, he's one. So he doesn't understand a lot right now. And probably not till he's a couple years older. Will he really be able to have those conversations? But it's like sitting in that being like, this is totally okay. And this is a part of their development and their experience. And it's good. And it's not like, oh, be quiet. Like all of this. It's like, I, I can appreciate all that comes with it. And I think at 20, I rejected the things that were difficult. I didn't have as much acceptance of them. Um, where now, I actually just find that they're filled with these gifts. And they're just in different packaging. And so I can recognize the gift even if it's wrapped in screaming and, you know, throwing up their food and, you know, all that stuff that comes with having kids. <laughs> One of the things that's so apparent from spending time with you is that you really accept yourself. Mm. You accept the present moment, you accept what has happened, and you accept yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best examples of this was this video you posted about all the mistakes you made while filming. And you showed the mistakes you made. And I was just, I watched that with my mom and we were like, this is amazing. Like, just she's so <laughs> vulnerable, so open, so willing to share the parts of her that other people would want to push away or not show. Where does that come from? You know, I think that comes from my mom. Mm. Um, there's this quote, and I might not get it exactly right, but I have it on my wall. My mom wrote it to me when I was in high school. She wrote this in like a letter to me when I graduated. And she said, life is a cycle of dark, darkness and light. Your toughest battles will be hard fought, but well won. You can't go around the hard things. You have to go through them. And on the other side is the amazingly good stuff. And so my mom always taught me, like, not to hide from those things. Those are normal parts of life. And she actually, there's another quote that she loves, and I'm not going to get this right either, but she essentially says, that, like, perfect is boring. Hmm. It's in the cracks that the light shines through. Well, it's right that you wouldn't get that one perfect. Then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, that is that is perfectly imperfect, right? (laughs) But that's I, you know, my mom's always lived that way. Mm. Our favorite thing, like our favorite Thanksgiving, was a Thanksgiving when everything went wrong, and we all dressed up as pilgrims with like cardboard hats, and like it was like everything was wrong about it. But it's the one we remember, right? It's the one that we can look back on, and we can laugh, and we can just have these moments and these memories that like will forever like last everything else like my my grandfather he's no longer with us but one one year like he he was struggling he couldn't use his hands he had neuropathy mm. and he was so sarcastic and funny and i remember i was young and i sat next to him and i just put a bunch of stickers on his face and he couldn't take them off because he couldn't use his hands and it's like the, it's like we and he thought it was hilarious we and we have this picture and he's covered in stickers like from this like little girl and this is like but i didn't understand and i couldn't so it was just this like like those are the moments and those are the memories where you look back and you're like that is hilarious and also like such like a fun little innocent like memory so i just think that the imperfections are the things that make us human and they're the things that connect us and I have them all the time Mm -hmm. and I find that when I share them people feel closer Mm -hmm. they can relate 
I gave a speech not even a month ago, and I dropped the clicker, and it shattered all over the floor. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) in front of 400 women, and they, three of them jumped up to put it back together for me. And like, we just like had this like moment of like laughter and like mistakes. And it's just a part of life. And so instead of trying to hide it, instead of going like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And like trying to like continue, I just stopped and I just went, well, I wish I could say that was the first time I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone did exactly what you did. They cracked up and we had this moment where like we all felt close together. And I just find that there's such beauty in that. Could you imagine if you were like, like tried to hide it in some way or felt ins- it just and, and that is the common reaction yeah. or response for a lot of people of not accepting what is. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that by you dropping something and it breaking and shattering, other people got to live in their purpose yeah. or their reason for being in that moment. So you gave people reasons for being by your brokenness. Mm-hmm. There is so much power in that. It's a good way of putting it. I love that because you're right. Like it was just, it was just a great moment between all of us. Like I won't forget it. <laughs> and I'm sure they won't right? for, for whatever, for certain reasons, I'm sure for better or for worse. But, but I, yeah, I just, I just find that there's such, there's such a connectedness when you show who you are mm-hmm. beyond like the best parts of you. Um, I just find that 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 kind of vulnerability and that kind of um, just openness like really bonds you together. How do you help people who are not comfortable in their own skin be more comfortable in their own skin? I think it starts by just being willing to look in the mirror. Um, Like, have you ever stopped and just looked in the mirror? Do it like every day. Yeah. I love it. And and not to like see what you look like, right? But like Just, just to see. Genuinely just to look at you. Yeah. Like, you are the only person, like, that if, you, if you're if you lying, you know you're lying. Like, you can't, I think David Goggins talks about this in his book, and he's like, you can't lie to yourself. Mm. Like, if you, like, you have to wake up and you have to square up with you and you. And you have to be honest. And I think that that honest reflection is the beginning of that journey of being okay with who you see. And... But it starts with spending time with you. It's like, it's like, have you ever gone to the, I call it the grocery store test. Like, have you ever gone to the grocery store and you see somebody from like high school that you don't want to see? It's like suddenly you need kale. You've never liked kale, but today you need it. So you like run to the kale to just get away from this person. And then the other time where you walk down, it's somebody that like you are so excited to see, to run into, and you like gravitate towards them. And so my question is like, who are you with you? Like, do you run from your problems? Like, do you do you run from the struggles? Do you run from what you see? Do you try and justify it? Or are you willing to go up to it and go, hey, it's good to see you? Like, even if you don't love it in the moment, right? It's like, even your best friends, you have, you're close with them because you had disagreements. It's, it hasn't always been perfect. Likely the people you're closest to, it's because you've had conflict to some degree, but you sat in it. And at some point you confronted it and you were able to forgive it or you're able to change as a result of it. And so to me, it's no different than your relationship with you. 
And when you build the relationship with yourself, you're able to accept the things that are imperfect. Any person who you see and want to run the other way to, that is a place you're not free. Correct. That is a a place and a person that has a hold and a prison they're putting you in. And so it's worth asking yourself, why? Yep. Why why is that that friend from high school or that enemy from high school or that person you were an acquaintance with, why is that person having this response to me? Mm. Because if you felt comfortable in yourself in every moment, you would be happy going anywhere you were. And so it's funny, I think like, Looking at those specific situations, I agree. It's it's in the mirror where you could really like see like, am I comfortable with myself? Mm-hmm. But all of the situations around us mm. point to the places we're not free and point us to being more comfortable with ourselves. Because you can meditate. Like you can meditate on an island by yourself and you can be completely good with you. But then if you go see your dad and you can't talk to him, mm. well – there's the problem there. Mm. And the meditation that you do is hopefully getting you better at recognizing that. I like. I love what you just said because I've had so many of those moments for myself. Mm-hmm. Me too. Where if I don't feel right in a relationship, the first question I ask is why? Because 99% of the time, 99.9 I'd even say, percent of the time, it has to do with you. Totally. It has nothing to do with that person. It has to do with you most of the time. And for me, I'm like, what insecurity am I feeling? I recognized, and a lot of times I'd be like, no, I'm not insecure. (laughs) Like, I'm not jealous. I'm not this. And I'm just like, bullshit. You know, my therapist is like, comes up in my mind. It just goes, bullshit. You are. And it's time that you confront it. And that's not always easy. Because our ego goes, no, 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 run from that. Like, you, no, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh, it's breaking us down. And... That's the battle I'm willing to sign up for Mm -hmm. because I recognize every time I do, I come out better on the other side of it. Not just for me, but for others. Because the better I know myself, the better I can navigate those situations in a way that's best for everyone. It's like a win-win. And... But I have those moments all the time. So it's like you said that and there's like a light bulb went off. I'm like, wow, so well said. <laughs> you saw people come up in your mind. Oh, yeah. It's like those are the places you're not free, which is the, the more people you check off on that list, the better you are, right? Like mm-hmm. you said, and I had a friend who recently um, was, she had a coach when she was younger who took advantage of her. She felt mm-hmm. taken advantage by in a romantic sense. And she... 10 years later, she's talking to me about this in the past weekend. Mm -hmm. And I could feel the resentment she had and the bitterness she had towards the coach. So I said, why don't you write a letter to him and Mm -hmm. and explain? You don't have to send it, but just write the letter. She wrote the letter and she made a LinkedIn post about it. And she was like, that was the most freeing thing. Mm -hmm. Just writing it. Didn't even need to send it. Because she recognized the place she wasn't free. Mm. And it's like, who would take, like, it, it pains me so much that someone would take advantage as a coach of, a, right. you know, like, but she was still holding on to something. You know what? It's like, I had a, I had an athlete. This reminds me of an athlete I was working with. Um, and one day I was at, I was um, in the dugout um, with, I was with the Yankees at the time and I'm in the dugout with one of our, it was one of our minor league teams. And 
I was asking him questions and he was giving me like one word answers. And I, I pride myself in having like good relationships with my athletes, but I also recognize like I'm smart enough to know I'm not for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, but I'd never had that interaction with this player. So I was like, hmm, like, have I said something that maybe I'm just not aware of? So anyway, I was like, you know what? Maybe I just need to develop a better relationship with him. Maybe it, my relationship wasn't as good as I had maybe thought. So that weekend I spent like trying to get to know him better. But I swear, like all of his body language and reactions like pointed towards like, I want nothing to do with you. <laughs> and so I was like, man, I hope I didn't do anything. So I decided to confront it. And I one day I was like, we were going to the batting cages and I was I, I got there early and he was the only one there. And I'm like, this poor guy is like, she won't leave me alone. <laughs> and I said, you know, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure, yeah, well, like, what do you got? And I said, um, if I'd said anything or done anything to upset you, I just – and I said, and by the way, if you just don't want to talk to me, like, I'm totally good with that too, just so you know. So like – but I'm like – but in the case that I did say something and I'm just not aware of it, I just want to make sure. And he goes, oh, no, like, that that's not it. And so I said, you know, do you mind – like, maybe after the game we can, like, sit and chat a little bit more about that. He's like, sure. So we go and we sit down and I was like, so what, what do you – what do you – like, what is it for you? And he goes, Lauren, I'm not very good at speaking – and I was like, what? Like, can you can you explain more what you mean by that? He's like, I, I don't think I'm very good at speaking, so I try and limit my answers to like one or two words. And I stopped and I said, can you think back to the time that you first believed that to be true? Hmm. And it took him a while. Like, we, we sat there in silence for a couple minutes and while he just kind of like searched. And then it's like I saw it on his face when he recognized it. And he goes, I know exactly when it was. He said, when I was in elementary school, I really struggled with reading. And so a lot of times I would stutter when teachers would ask me to read out loud. And he said I would be made fun of for it. So one time I was asked to read out loud and I, and I did. And I just was made fun of by all, the, all of my classmates. And suddenly my teacher came up to me and said, that's okay, sweetie. You're just not very good at speaking. And your reaction is exactly how I felt. It's like you felt how that must have felt. It's like you empathized with him in that moment and just went, oh my gosh. Like, So I stopped and I said, who told you that? He's like, I just told you, like my teacher. And I said, who's telling you that now? And he just had that like light bulb moment. And he's like, I am. And I asked him, I said, is that who you want to be? And he's like, no. He said, it's a burden. He said, I, I, I have good things to say, Lauren. Like when you come and you speak to our team, I have things I want to add. He said, when I'm not playing well, like I want to go up to my coaches and ask them what I can do better. And he said, and I'm just afraid to. And so we like devised this plan. Like to this day, no one knows we did this. And so I said, who do you want to become? And he said, the kind of person that can openly share their opinion, their point of view, and how they feel. And he said, great. So what actions do we need to do to support that? <laughs> and he was like, oh, crap. I was like, yeah, you can't just like, you know, go just like eat some pizza. Like you got to like, <laughs> now we got to go do it. And so what we did before every meeting I would have with the team, 
I would sit down with him and I'd go over a couple questions I was going to ask. And he would come up with his answer. So we would prep it. So he didn't have to think about his answer in the moment. Because you know when you're like overwhelmed by like the nervousness, sometimes like you forget what you're going to say. So we took that away by just like prepping ahead of time. No one knew we were prepping. So then I would ask the question and his hand would fly up and I would, and I would, he would share. So it would give him an opportunity to exercise this new belief that he wanted. And over time, he did that time and time again. And then finally he stopped meeting with me and he would just do it. And I will never forget the spring training after that. I walk in the room and, you know, everybody's there and there's a bunch of people and he like, like came through the crowd and gave me the biggest hug. And it was like the first time he had been so, it's like he had this confidence, he exuberated this energy, and it was the most beautiful thing to see. But to what you said earlier, it's like sometimes we put ourselves in these prisons where, yes, maybe it started because someone handed us this belief or handed us this horrible situation or did something to us that was completely unfair. And then we carry it through all these years thinking that we don't have the ability to put it down. And I think that was the gift in that moment is that he finally recognized the control that he had, which was to rewrite his belief and to act in it in a totally different way. Such a beautiful and powerful story. And in a world where we deal with emotions and we deal with people's emotions and the idea of freedom and being comfortable in one's own skin, it can be hard to see and feel that there's no measurements that says, I am this free. Right. But everyone felt the difference that spring training when he came in with more confidence. Yes. And it was a direct result of the questions you asked and your ability to sit with him. What does somebody do to recognize the prisons that they're in if they don't have Lauren Johnson sitting across from them to enlighten them or show them where they're potentially not free? Number one is to get really aware of your body. I think sometimes it's easier to recognize your physiological signs than it is to recognize the mental root where they come from. So in psychology, there's just this framework that the way that you think a thought influences your behavior. But in between there is a thought influences how you feel, how you feel influences your your physiology, and then your physiology influences your behavior. And everyone goes, oh, if you just change your thought, you can change that. Yes. And that's really hard to be aware of sometimes, right? And it's like it's like a soccer player that goes to take a PK. It's like, yeah, like I know how to do that. And sometimes when you're walking with the when you're walking to the spot, to the PK spot to take your kick, you suddenly the weather changes and you're like, oh my God. And you're feeling this tension. And while you're not showing it, you can feel the tension rising. You can feel the nerves and you can feel all that. But maybe you're not really aware of the thought that you're having, whether it's subconscious or conscious. And so I would really pay attention to your physiology Mm -hmm. is when that shifts for you, then ask, where might that be coming from? What thought might be associated with how I'm feeling? And when you recognize that, then the question becomes, how might I think differently? How might I think differently in a way that could shift how I'm feeling? And there's a lot of ways to do this. That's, I mean, reframing is like one of my favorite things to do. I think because if we just take a shift in our perspective, 
We can actually shift ourselves in the moment. And it sounds simple. It's not always easy. But it starts with that awareness because you cannot change anything you're not aware of. And so I believe that it's easier to recognize the body shift than it is the mental shift. But then when you recognize the body shift, you can oftentimes link it to something mental. Maybe not right away, but even the act of being aware of like, I'm feeling this way. Why might I be feeling that? Is a huge step in the right direction. And soon enough, when you start asking yourself that enough, you will start to reveal answers in yourself. And you'll start to see patterns of, oh, I'm feeling this way because I'm feeling insecure. Or I'm feeling this way because, you know, I, I'm afraid of failing. Oh, I'm feeling this way because there's actually a fear associated with this for me. And when you start to learn those patterns, now we can start to really do some great work and go, ah, this is what I can do about it. Or this is the shift that I'm going to choose to make and as a result of it. We were placed on this earth and we now have all these fears, insecurities, doubts, thoughts that go through our mind that we potentially didn't even control and we don't know how they got there. But what's been a very useful belief for me is like the purpose mm. of this reality, mm. of earth, of being here is so that we can recognize them mm-hmm. and we can be free from them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's that's completely made up, but it's served me mm-hmm. to believe that the purpose of this dimension is to understand ourselves and understand our patterns so that we can clear them. Immediately what comes to mind for me is this thought of like productive versus unproductive. Mm. Um, Early on in my career, you know, right out of my master's degree, I'm like, positivity is the answer and negativity is the problem. Like I'm going to fight that for everybody (laughs) (laughs) until I couldn't even do it for myself. (laughs) And then I was just like, oh my gosh, I have so many negative thoughts. Why can't I get rid of them? (laughs) And I think because like, I just, I can't BS my way out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think I was trying to like lie to myself and go, oh my God, it's not as bad as it is. And I'm like, no, it is bad. This is bad. (laughs) Or this feels really bad. And I think when I tried to explain it away, I found more resistance in that. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'm fine. fine. (laughs) How are you? I'm fine. (laughs) I'm like, lies. Um, And so I, I started to realize it actually isn't about being positive or negative. It's, and there isn't a right or wrong. It's what is productive and what is unproductive. Sometimes being hard on myself is very productive. It can be a catalyst for change, a catalyst for growth. Um, And then in other times, it's very unproductive because just beating up on myself just leaves me sitting on the floor and I can barely pick myself up to do what I got to do the next day. And so I I find that the question is, is this productive? has been one that is very helpful for me. And so your belief that you speak of, to me, is so productive. Who cares if it's right or wrong, right? Like, who cares if that is not, like, the ultimate truth for everybody? It is productive for you. And therefore, like, it's going to benefit you in amazing ways. And so that's how I look at a lot of mental skills and just, like, life lessons and principles and belief systems Mm. is when people say, oh, is this right? It's like, I don't know. Is it productive? Great. Like, let's go. Yeah, a false belief that you believe that serves you is a productive thought and a productive question and a productive way of being. Yes. What keeps coming up time and time again throughout this interview conversation, I don't know which one it is, (laughs) is the importance of questions. Yes. How have questions served you and how have you gotten the most out of people by virtue of asking questions? 
questions pique curiosity. I'm very curious. I love to understand. And I find that understanding puts you in a position of power. Mm. And so my goal when I ask questions is to help people find that understanding for them. Um, and I find it helps myself do the same. I also find that it is challenging our beliefs that actually help us solidify our beliefs. Mm. Um, sometimes I run into people that, you know, that really struggle to even think that there might be another belief out there that they that could be in alignment with them or that might be different for them. Um, and I understand that because there's some comfort in just sticking with what you know and there's familiarity in that. But I do find that you actually start to truly understand what you value when you challenge your values. Um, it's kind of like you really understand success when you understand failure. Mm. You really understand the power of consistency when you're very inconsistent. Um, and so I just find that there's like this power in opposite thinking. And I think that questions are a really great way to provide that for ourselves. So when you think like, what is the cost of me taking on this risk? The question I like to ask is, what is the cost of staying exactly where you are? Mm. And I think that that perspective has provided me with a lot of clarity and I think provides a lot of my clients with clarity in what their next move is and what they believe and what they value um, and what they know about themselves. So I find that just questions are a great way to really reveal um, answers and solutions to things that maybe we may not have thought of um, initially. There's also such an inherent humility that comes across mm. of, you know the answer. I'm asking you because I don't know it. Yep. And that humility comes through in your presence and comes through for any good therapist or coach is like, I don't know, you know, and you and you coming to that answer is going to help you better than me saying the answer to you, circling all the way back. 100%. It's like somebody said, like, you work with, like, CEOs and these executives. Like, what are you teaching them? I'm like, nothing. Like, I am not. (laughs) Like, they have the answers. You have the answers. And this is, like, my – the thing that I'm most passionate about is, like, everyone is listening to us or listening to someone or listening – it's like – Take the 30 seconds, make it three hours, listen to yourself. Yes. You know better than you for you than we do. <laughs> yes. Like really sit with that and understand that and your life will get better. It, I'm so, Oh my gosh. Amen. You are preaching. I, I couldn't agree more because like I'm not teaching – I'm not teaching like a pitcher how to like throw a better fastball. Like are you kidding me? We'd be in big trouble if that's what we were doing. Like I'm not teaching a CEO how to make better decisions for their company. I'm not teaching a, you know, a COO like, you know, whether they should hire or fire. Like I'm not teaching them that. I'm teaching them to trust themselves hmm. by asking the right questions that lead them to believe that what they know is true. And so a lot of the questions I ask is that, just what you said. I thought that was beautifully put. It's just to reveal it in themselves. I'm not going to teach you how to be a better CEO. I'm not going to teach you how to be a a, a better athlete. I'm going to teach you how to be a better version of you by understanding you better by asking the right questions. That's so beautiful. (laughs) I'm so appreciative for you. Your mission is to help people improve their lives through the choices they make. 
you've improved my life so much by the choice you've made to appear on this podcast. <laughs> I'm so grateful for you. I like to end these podcasts with challenges or I ask the guests for mm-hmm. a challenge to leave the audience or someone listening with something, some action step they can do from the conversation we've had. Does a challenge come to mind? Yeah, my challenge is to spend three minutes. We'll say three because it's a long time in the mirror with yourself today. Either when you wake up or before you go to bed or maybe in the afternoon. Spend three minutes in the mirror. No prompt and just write what comes to mind as soon as you're done. Wow. It's a beautiful challenge. Send me a DM if you do that. I'm really curious what comes up. Where can we send people to connect with you further? The best place would be my website, which is laurenjohnsonandco.com. There's a lot of Lauren Johnsons out there. When I got married, I told my husband, it's going to be hard finding a handle. (laughs) Underscore Lauren Johnson, (laughs) underscore on Twitter. Yes, exactly. So all of my social media handles are different. So if you go to my website, you'll find them all there. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And they're all linked down below in the description as well. Thank you so much for spending time here today. I'm so grateful for you. You're a true light in the world. And you you are somebody who's doing really, really amazing work. And I'm so, so grateful to know you, to be your friend, to have you on this podcast. Thank you for being you. Thank you.